What a good day. Good day to be in the presence of the Lord. Good day to be in the house of the Lord. Glad to welcome those of you joining us through church online. And if this is your first time to be with us, thank you for your allowing us the privilege. You honor us with your presence. We're thankful for you to be here. And we pray that God would bless you and bring a blessing to your relational life as we, uh, as we share this message. I played Candyland as a kid. Anybody play Candyland? Candyland. The Candyland game board has molasses, swamp, and cherry pitfall as part of the perils on that game board. And I got to tell you that the Married Land game board that we are exploring also has perils on it. Are you familiar with the slogan, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Know that? They introduced that tagline some 20 years ago to try to increase adult tourism by promising to be the place where anything goes and nobody will ever know. This is an interesting claim. So says the ad firm that came up up with that uh, phrase, interesting claim. They, they claim to be able to control the moral arc of the universe. Think about what they said. If it happens in Vegas, it won't get beyond the city limits. Amazing claim. To be able to short circuit what Hinduism and Buddhism and New Age calls karma. You know about karma? Effect coming from cause. You're going to get what's coming to you. That's what karma says. You're going to get what's coming to you. But listen, not if you do it in Vegas. That's what this says, right? Because, I mean, that bad karma stuff gets stuck right there at the border. As you're trying to exit Sin City, you know, it just stays behind you right there in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I don't know how effective the ad campaign was, but that's an astounding thing to claim. Is there such a place on earth where what you do does not travel with you? Lighten up, Bill. I mean, it's only an ad campaign, right? Well, why do I bring it up today? Because today we're talking about how our past becomes present in marriage and can affect your future. Now, if you're married, you've probably already seen it happen in yours, whether you realize it or not. If you're not married, then this is a great time to reflect upon this idea. Should, ever, should marriage ever be in your future, right? Does what happened in Vegas really stay in Vegas? Now, I'm thinking that you probably have an opinion on that. And I bet that parents have a belief about that. <laughs> whether it's true or not. I'm thinking, I bet you do. AA says this. AA says that you are as sick as your secrets. What does that mean? That whatever you are keeping a secret from back when is actually influencing your illness, your sickness right now. That's what AA says. And counselors, family counselors say this. They speak of childhood experiences of family origin culture that can bring wounds and trauma into your, your soul that would require therapy 
in order to find healing. And today, something called shadow work is a tool that is helping many of us with our emotional baggage. What's emotional baggage? Emotional baggage is stuff from our past that we tend to stuff in denial. I mean, you don't have to be married for that to show up, right? In my experience, love in the wild, adventures in married land, (laughs) uh, one of the adventures that you discover in your married land is uh, how what happened back there shows up right here. I mean, you thought it was in your rearview mirror, but actually there it is, present in your relationship. Like, what does your rearview mirror say on it? Something like this, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. I thought it was back there, and now it's right here. What, do I, what is that? It happens in marriage, especially, and especially, listen, those of you who want to grow closer, who want to experience what God has for you in the oneness where two become one flesh. We talked about this last time, remember? Where you're one in spirit, one in soul, emotion, one in body, the one flesh union that if you desire Everything God has for you in marriage, you know what's going to, you're going to, this is going to show up there as you get closer to the authentic, intimate person that you desire to be. Decisions made in previous settings have a way of showing up in your present relationship. That includes bad ones. Bad decisions can show up in the good thing that you've got going on, like ping balls, ping pong balls that bubble up underwater, and you're wondering, where did that just come from? What is that? And then we say, it makes it complicated. Relationships are complicated. Am I right? Well, here's how the Bible says this. You will always harvest what you plant. Always. You will harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. But it's also to the good. Not just to the bad. More about that later. Um, but two Bible couples that we're going to learn from today. Each week we're, we're learning from different Bible couples about these adventures in married land and how we can have some takeaways for our adventures there. Are Samson and Delilah and Abraham and Sarah. Only when we meet Abraham and Sarah first, they are Abram and Sarai. And then, of course, you'll remember Samson and Delilah from the story perhaps you know about them. Um, These are two cautionary tales. That's the approach we're taking today, two cautionary tales. And for time's sake, I'm going to summarize pieces of both of them. Samson's story is like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? Good, the bad, and the ugly. He comes in. This is Judges chapter 13 through 16, by the way. When we meet Samson, he, it's a good thing. He comes in as a good answer, a good gift from God to a childless couple, and now he's a gift of new life only for them, not only for them, but to build Israel as, and lead Israel as they continue to conquer the inherited land, which is still occupied by the Philistines at the time. And Samson is dedicated to God before the, he, while in the womb. Dedicated to God from the womb as a Nazarite. A Nazarite, no fermented drink, no unclean foods, no contact with the dead, dead bodies, and no razor to ever be applied 
to their head. And his mother is participating in that vow prior to his birth. So, I mean, her discipline of dedication is now showing up in his arrival on the scene. Good beginning. And then his call from God. I mean, as a young man, it's already stirring in him as a boy, as a teenager. Chapter 13, verse 25 says that he grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was still in these places where he was as a boy and a young man. Something stirring inside him, his call from God. Then, this is a good beginning, but as chapter 14 opens, he's probably about 20, and we start seeing things go bad. Decisions go bad. His foolishness rises to the surface. And then outright violation of his vows in several settings, he's full of impulse, full of immediacy. He, uh, he's driven by desire. He's driven by sensuality. He wants what he wants when he wants it, and he wants it now, now. Immediacy, impulse. And he demands, in light of that, he demands that his parents let him marry a young Philistine woman. That means of the enemy tribe, which immediately brings shame on his family. He eats honey from the carcass of a lion, violating his Nazarite vow outright. He won't listen to his parents. They try to talk to him, but his pride and his lack of discernment make him and now his new young bride easy targets for manipulation. And then when the manipulation comes, he reacts like Samson does with impulse, with immediacy, (laughs) with rage and revenge. And uh, the Spirit of God, here's where we start learning that the Spirit of God has gifted him with a superhuman strength, but he uses it selfishly. He rushes into his marriage to a woman, a woman who doesn't know his God, who doesn't share his values, and doesn't treasure his family. And then his his story actually shows us that he has made a life of this kind of thing, a life of using what's within his grasp to get what he wants, using his strength for himself without walking with God or without waiting on God. He wants what he wants when he wants it, and he wants it now. You ever wondered how... Samson wound up with black widow Delilah. This is part of his past that shows up in his future. It turns out that Delilah is woman number three in his life. Did you know that? Woman number three. The first woman was this one that he wanted to marry, and he lost his first marriage. And the second woman was a prostitute that he hooked up with because of impulse, And then the third, oh my goodness, then he fell for Delilah like a chainsaw tree. And she also doesn't know his God, doesn't share his values, and doesn't treasure his family. In fact, she is also skilled at using her power, whatever's within her grasp, to get what she wants. And she knows how to manipulate to make it happen. Turns out that Samson, instead of learning from his past just repeats it again and again. 
And in the end, he loses everything. I mean, it goes from bad to ugly. The woman that he shared his secrets with, guys, you ever want a woman that you can share your secrets with? A woman that you can trust? It's going to be intimate in your spirit, in your soul. She wasn't that. He shares his secrets with her, and she betrays him. And the enemies then come, they take him captive, they gouge out his eyes, and then they make him a laughingstock, strip him down, put him to the wheel, and just mock him. And he dies at 40. 40 years old, what a tragic story of wasted potential and lost opportunity. How did it happen? He had so much going for him. So good. Mother, good mother. Good family. What happened? Well, you already know what happened. He reaped what he sowed. You know, somebody's thinking, yeah, whatever you plant, that's what you harvest, right? He got what he had coming. That's the, the story. He got what he had coming. Okay, wait a minute. You mean that what happened in Vegas didn't stay there? Is that what you mean? Because that's what the story is trying to invite us into. But here's the question that a gospel preacher wants to ask. What if he had sowed differently? Would the outcome have been different? You know, uh, instead of uh, getting good to bad to ugly, could he have become from good to better to best? On the other end of the scale. I mean, in his story, if you look at it, and I hope you do, Judges 13 through 16, Samson only prays two times in his whole life in the story. One is in chapter 15, verse 18, when he thinks he's dying of thirst. And uh, then in chapter 16, verse 28, in the, la the very last moments of his life, where instead, I mean, he's just desperate in both situations. It's like instead of seeking God daily for wisdom and guidance and direction, and today I'll bring my strength, my potential, my calling, I, Lord, I just want you to lead my way. No, instead of doing that, he only prays when he's desperate. When he really feels desperate, he uses his gifts, his strength, the life God gives him. He uses them every day, but he only uses them for himself. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it because he wants to do it. He does what he thinks is best. And I'm just wondering, you think the story would have turned out any differently? That his marriage would have turned out better? That his life impact may have been greater if he had sought to walk with God each day, instead of always and only doing life impulsively because of what he wanted, his way. Listen, his own pride blinded him long before the Philistines ever took his eyes. And in his final prayer, chapter 16, verse 28, oh, sovereign Lord. And sovereign means most high. I mean, you are truly God with a G in my life. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. And then he, please, please strengthen me. 
So he finally gets to the point where he says, I'm not my own God. I'm not my own boss. I'm going to, and he calls upon him, and it's a prayer of respect and humility for strength for his final hour of desperation. One lesson seems obvious to me. Don't wait till times get desperate to pray. Don't wait till everything's going down, everything's blowing up. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. You're not that smart, you're not that strong. Samson, strongest man alive. <laughs> and he was gifted by God and called by God, but taken out, taken offline. Don't wait till times get desperate to pray. Do it every day. You know that eagle song, Desperado? You gotta come to your senses. This is a song for Samson. You come to your senses before it's too late. Cautionary tale. Plant seeds of faith that will grow into a harvest of blessing. Because listen, whatever you plant, that's what you're going to harvest. And it can work out to the positive. It doesn't have to just be negative and take you out. It can be positive and lift you up. Second couple, Abram and Sarai. When we first meet them, those are their names. Abraham and Sarah is what they become by the promise of God. But Abram and Sarai, and God invites them, their story is that God invites them to become father and mother of the faithful, his people, who will populate the earth and bring God's blessing to all nations. And, um, and their story is that they had a promise from God a promise from God that they possessed as husband and wife for years and years and years, but no fulfillment, it seemed, of that promise. Years and years of their marriage, no child. No, God had promised them, Genesis 15, 5, that their offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I can imagine them walking at first and looking at those stars and just thinking, one day, honey, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then after years and years of walking, and they get out and look at the stars and say, what in the world? They have no son. They have no child. All they've got is a night full of stars. No promise fulfilled. So I said, these are two cautionary tales that we're looking at today. Sarai decides this, that she's waited long enough. Um, it's as if, well, if God's not going to come through, then I got to take matters in my own hands. And so this is what she does. She, she takes her handmaid, gives her female servant to Hagar, or Hagar to Abraham, thinking, here's what she says, I'm going to have you sleep with her, Abram, because Maybe I can build a family through her. What God is not doing, I'll do. And now this is troubling for us for several reasons, right? Um, but one of them was this common cultural practice in that day that if a married woman couldn't have children, she was shamed by her peers and then often was required to give a female servant to her husband in order to produce heirs. And then the children born to the servant woman would actually be considered children of the wife. That's the backstory going on here that was active in culture at the time. And Abram just acts right in line with the cultural understanding of his day and yet what both of them are doing is failing to trust God to keep his promise to them, right? That God would fulfill his promise. Well, the, that decision of Abram's union with Hagar does produce a child, but it also complicated things, their lives with a series of whole new problems. Um, in God's good time, 
he also indeed gave them the child of promise. But it didn't happen until Sarai was 90 years old and Abram was 100. And then she becomes pregnant with the son of promise, Isaac, which God reminded her when he said, I'm, this is going to happen next year. Here's what he says. Is anything too hard for me? You know, God, nothing's too hard for the Lord. And so then the son, guess what happened? The son born to Hagar, Ishmael, in the context of history, represents the mess that we make when we fail to wait on God to keep his promise, but instead seek to control and manipulate to get what we want. So when Hagar gets pregnant, you know what happens with the family? The whole dynamic changes at home. She starts to despise Sarai, who had the idea in the first place, but he had no child, and she still wouldn't for 13 more years. wasn't until then that Sarah would give birth to Isaac. But you know what Sarai does in the, when this happens? She blames Abraham. How could you do this to me? What were you thinking? You know, I mean, and I'm just wondering if Ab Abe's not saying anything. I don't know what's going on in the story, actually, but because it doesn't tell us. But she gets upset with her servant and with Abram for sleeping with Haggai, and then so mistreats that woman, the servant woman, that she runs off into the wilderness. And here's a surprise in the story. God sees Hagar and where she ran off to and goes to meet with her and say, I have a promise for you too. This is interesting that God shows up in the story as the God of promise, the God who makes promises, the God who keeps promises, and the God who, who sees us in disappointment with fresh promise. This is what God does. He steps into the complicated situation <laughs> to help as past collides with present and threatens the future. I'm so glad God does that. Maybe that's where he would meet you today. So what are the lessons we can take away? I mean, for our adventures in married land from these two couples, is there anything that we can learn? Maybe you're thinking of some already. The, the overarching one for me is um, summarized in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Most cautionary tales have a moral, you know, and the moral of the story is, well, this could be a big moral to the story. Don't be misled. Don't kid yourself. Don't be stuck in a fog. Don't play make-believe about this. Open your eyes wider. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay there. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And then it goes on and takes us down, and if it's to the negative, here's what happens. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature are going to harvest decay and death from that nature. Whatever seeds you're planting, that's what you're going to harvest. But then look at the next verse. This is so great. <laughs> it works to the positive. Those who want to please the Spirit, if your desire is to rise in the level of Spirit blessing, then you will harvest eternal life, everlasting life as a gift of God's Spirit because of seed that you're planting. So see, the door swings both ways. 
positive and negative. And so here's what I'm thinking. If you want better crops in your life, then plant better seeds. Does that make sense? And do it before you're married. Don't wait till you're married to plant seeds for your marriage. You can be planting seeds, plant good seeds. Right now, you can start with the end in mind and start becoming the person you'd like to experience in your marriage. You could start there. So plant better seeds. Don't just pull weeds, but plant seeds in your garden. That's a lesson. Work, learn how to walk with God personally. How do you plant seeds in your garden that can harvest blessing? You learn how to walk with God personally. How do you do that? Well, you're, you're doing it if you're in this house right now. You're worshiping weekly. If you're worshiping monthly, then try to step it up to worship weekly. Worshiping weekly, getting in the place where God's praise is offered, God's word and will is taught, and then connect with a group regularly. Oh my goodness, you know, could it have saved Samson some pain and heartache if he'd had a group of men around him who said, dude, you know, this is not going to end well. The trajectory you're on, I know something about that, so I want to help you if you'll listen to me. Could it have changed? If, ladies, if Sarai had been in a group of women who said, you know, you don't have to do that. Have you thought about what's going to happen if you do that? That if she had had a group of women around her who could speak the truth in love because they loved her, Samson, they loved him, then could the stories have turned differently because they were connected to a group that really did care about the lives they were sharing? And then let the church help. I mean, find and follow Christ personally, then learn how to do it together. Learn how to wait on God together. Sometimes it seems like God's taking forever. His timing is like so frustrating, right? But you can do it together. Others can, you can learn how to pray together as you wait. And then you can share your desires and your disappointments together. There's plenty of those in marriage. So learning how to grow spiritually together through the disappointments. And then to learn this, that God's delays are not denials. That simply because God has not answered yet doesn't mean the answer's not on its way but in God's time. And I heard somebody say one time, you know, though God is seldom early, he's never late. Trust the Lord, wait on his word, be patient. And then when the, when the past bubbles up, you know, like that beach ball underwater, and then suddenly there it is, you can take it to God together. Together is the word. Together is the word. You, you start working and walking with God in your personal life before, and then as you're doing that, he brings you to another person that you can grow with together, and then you learn how to walk with God together. Well, here's how I talk to the Lord. Here's how I hear from the Lord. Here's how I seek to honor the Lord. And then you share that, and then you say, well, how can we do that? We do it together. And then you learn how to wait on God together. Well, maybe not so fast, honey. Maybe we don't have to have it now. Maybe we can wait a little bit, right? You do it together. And then when the past shows up, and there it is, and the rearview mirror, then you can take it to God together. And then trust that the God who hears our prayers and brings his promises will offer mercy in the middle of our broken mistakes so that his blessing 
will rise. This is one of my favorite gospel preacher verses. Here it is, Romans 8, 28. God is able to work in all things for good, all things, all things, all things for good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, maybe the Spirit has prompted you in something you've heard. Maybe he said, you know, we ought to have a sidebar on this one. And there's something, maybe it was something that we said directly. Maybe it was a lesson you saw. Maybe it was something just on, on, in passing that the Lord could say, like, what would that be? It would be, you know, like that anger, anger management. Samson could have benefited from that. Where's that anger coming from? And how is that rage really not getting you what you thought you were going to have? So anger, emotional intelligence, coping with disappointment, the heartache of infertility. I mean, there's so many themes in here about where marriage intersects with problems. And God is saying, I'm here for you. If If you're not yet married, maybe this is a pause moment for you to reflect on decisions that you're making now. What are the decisions you're making now, the people you're running with now, who will wind up being traveling companions in your memories in the future? So if you're thinking about marriage and wanting to have an intimate, authentic marriage God's way, then it's never too late to start now with the end in mind and become the person that you'd like to be sharing life with. If there are values that you think would be worth investing in a long-lasting marriage that would be worth sharing your life, then I think one of the lessons here is start planting those seeds now and then share the harvest when you get into that marriage in your future. And then if you're married, if you're married, maybe this is a good moment just to reflect on this question. What's it like to be on the receiving end of me? In marriage, what's it like to be on the receiving end of me? And then as you think through that or talk through that or work through that, this might be a good time to say, Lord, we want to receive what you have for us and become the people you would lead us to become so that we can share the harvest that you desire for us. There's one other thing I want us to notice before we turn loose of the story. God doesn't give up in either of these stories. God doesn't give up on them. Did you see that? God follows through with his promises. God answers their prayers. God has not forsaken them. He doesn't give up in either of these stories. Instead, he shows up for them. And I'm just wondering, where could God show up for you? I mean, if he still does that sort of thing. If these are stories that may be familiar to our stories, then what could you ask God? Where could God show up for you, for your marriage, for your future? And maybe we could ask him together right now as we pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are the God of promise the God who in the middle of our mess and mistakes, of our heartaches and of our impulse, that you are available, that you keep your promise, that you fulfill your word, and that our tomorrows don't have to look like our yesterdays, that we're not stuck in the emotions of our past, we're not trapped in the circumstances, 
that karma is not more powerful than the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken all of the penalty of my sin, our sins, upon yourself, and that now you can freely forgive and cleanse and heal so that we can grow to become more of who you created us to be and more of who you have saved us to be. And if you're considering how do I begin a relationship with God, then the answer is found in a prayer as simple as this. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you came as God to give yourself on the cross for me to die for my sins and then rise from the dead so that your spirit could now live within me. So, Lord, forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Come into my life and lead me. I give you the throne of my heart and ask you now, be my savior. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment. And if you prayed that prayer with me to ask Jesus to come into your life, if you'd let me invite God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, just simply slip your hand up for a moment. And if you're joining us online, then please just drop it right in the chat. Thank you. Right here in the center, in the very back, God bless you. And then right here, young, young man in the front, God bless you. Amen. And then on my right to the far back, God bless you. Lord Jesus, for every person who by lifting their hand is saying, my heart is open and I desire to know you, we pray that the joy of your salvation would fill them right now. May they sense your peace and know that you will never leave them as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.